Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I acknowledge this weekend was one of the more difficult weekends for me, and it happens, well, around this time every year, lots of times a couple weekends earlier. It's the end of the Packers season, and you know it, you, you sit there and you think, okay, Sundays, if you are a Wisconsinite and you are a Packers fan, Sundays oftentimes, and I understand sometimes they play Thursday, sometimes they play Monday nights, but in general, Sundays are built around you know the Packers games. And then all of a sudden it ends, and you're kind of going, okay, what, what's, what's going on here? And, of course, the Bucks didn't have any games because they were coming back from their Friday game in Paris, and I don't know. I ended up watching golf. My wife was very positive. She took, uh, took the grandkids and my nephew out. They, they went skiing. They went out to Little Switzerland or something and asked me if I wanted to go along. I said no, so I grew. I ended up being the slug. I sat at, stayed at home and read the newspaper and watched golf on TV and perfectly happy at that. But it just, I was having my football, I was having my football withdrawals. Could have watched the Pro Bowl. I could have watched the Pro Bowl. Could've, yeah, I forgot yeah. all about the Pro Bowl. Yes, I, I, the, uh, yeah, I guess I, I could have watched the Pro Bowl or the Senior Bowl or whatever, but it's not the same as watching the Packers. Could have watched and, the snow melt. That would have been just as exciting. I, I, exactly. And, of course, then, you know, of course, spring training baseball, it starts in about a month or so. Brewers and uh, the pitchers and catchers report in just a couple weeks. So baseball is on the horizon, and it looks like the Milwaukee Bucks have a very special season going as well. So there's still lots for the sports fan. We have a lot of ground to cover on today's show. Let's get started. It was a story. I came across um, it's starting to get national attention and the the lawsuit it's it's under the category of banking while black guy has gone public saying he's being discriminated by his against by his former bank I want to tell you the story and I want to get your reaction to it guy's name is Santore Thomas he lives in Detroit he is African-American he's in his early, he's 44 years old right he has a bank account at a TCF branch in Detroit. At the time this incident happens that I'm going to describe, he had 52 cents in his checking account, 52 cents, and he had never had a, a large balance in it, never had more than a few hundred bucks in the account. So that's that's kind of the background. He'd had the account for about a year. He'd opened it in January of 2018. It had always been a small dollar checking account. January of this year, apparently what had happened is he had been involved in a lawsuit where he had sued his former employer, which was a leasing company or something, for discrimination, sued him for racial discrimination in federal court. He gets, they settled the case. So he gets three checks in settlement of the lawsuit. One check was 59000 one check was 27000 and one check was 13000 
So he's got three checks totaling $90,000. Now, keep in mind, the time he gets these checks, he's never had he's never had more than a couple hundred bucks in his savings, in his checking account, and he's got 52 cents in the account as of the day. He shows up at the branch with these three checks, 59000 27000 13000 He says, here's what he wants to do. He wants to open a savings account. He wants to get a new debit card. He wants to deposit two of the checks, the one for 59000 and the one for 27000 So he wants to deposit... Um, I mean, $86,000 worth of, of checks, yeah, and then he's got the other $13,000 check, and he says, I want to cash this one. I want 13000 in cash, and I want to deposit the other, you know, eighty-six grand. So I guess he's got $99,000 total checks. All right, so this is somewhat unusual given the activity surrounding this particular account. So the assistant bank manager, who is a lay- woman who happens to be black as well, she comes over and, and she takes a look at the checks because she's like, you know, this is this is just atypical for this particular customer. And she looks at the checks and the checks have a, a watermark on them, you know, something that's that's kind of in the, the check. And she holds them up and so the bank scans them and these checks read void, you know, when they scan them from the bank. All right. So they start to have questions about this. So what happens is the bank says, look, when we get big checks like this, little previous activity on an account, the checks we get, we got some questions about them and they don't visually match previous checks. They say we take extra precautions and they start asking him a couple questions and they call the police. So the police come, they answer the guy a bunch of questions, he, he answers them, the interview lasts like a half hour or something like that, and then they leave, he gets angry, and he ends up leaving, walks out with the, the checks, goes over to a different bank, opens up a new account with the checks, the checks all clear, and you know the next day he's able to get his money. Well, he's now, he is now alleging that the bank has discriminated against him by putting him through the third degree, asking all these different questions when he presented the checks to them. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The bank, for its part, is saying, look, we weren't racially discriminating against the guy. The assistant branch manager who he dealt with was was African-American herself. This was just an extremely unusual transaction. Somebody who, you know, wasn't a, a large depositor, who hadn't had a lot of activity, comes in with these different checks. Um, we've got some questions about the checks, and he wants a bunch of cash back right away. Yeah, we, we were, we were right to be curious. We weren't discriminating against the guy because he was black. We were asking these questions because we were afraid that this was fraud. All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The customer says, look, this is banking while black. You know, if I had been a white guy under the same sort of sets of circumstances, they would not have called the police. They wouldn't have asked any of these questions. I went down the street to this other bank, and they let me open an account, and then the check cleared the next day, and I got the money. TCF Bank was discriminating against me. They were profiling me. This was banking while black. 
Does the bank have a point? Or was this somebody who was treated, and again, these were valid checks, no no question about it. At the end of the day, these were valid checks. Did the bank, in your opinion, treat him differently because he was African-American? Or is this a situation where there's all these red flags going off and you can't fault the bank for asking questions? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think the answer is actually somewhere in between. I will explain why, but who do you side with? Was the guy discriminated against? Was he profiled? Or was this a reasonable step taken by the bank under the circumstances? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back. Okay, banking while black or a re- legitimate legitimate effort by the bank to make sure that they were not being defrauded. Let's start with Mark in Milwaukee. Mark, you're first. Hello. Hello. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I'm a, I think, well, I'm a retired law enforcement officer. I was uh, with the sheriff's department for almost 30 years, and I think everything the bank did uh, was exactly what they should have done, where it gets borderline uh if they did you know profile or not was when they called the police that that's that's the i was scanning through the channels and i listened to the whole thing and yeah at what point you know why do you have to call the police you know it's like depends on if they think a crime was being committed but to me it just seems like if uh if it had been a maybe even like a caucasian male walk in with a suit you know i don't think they call the police right. versus uh the fact that it's african-american so in some aspects, I do. I, I definitely. I don't know if there was discrimination, but I definitely. I mean, I think absolutely was there. There was some profiling going on because, in my personal life, like I just retired a few years ago, and I had an extra checking account. Never kept more than five hundred thousand dollars in there. And when I cashed in some of my retirement savings, I walked in with a forty-nine thousand dollar check. And the bank did this kind of the same thing to me too. They went through a little extra hoops. I had to wait the three days, all that. And, um, but I didn't, you know, but the police wasn't called and they didn't, you know, they didn't ask me suddenly, well, why, you know, yeah. why do you have this huge check? So, you know, if he walks in and is, and it's, they put him through the background and, and they call the company where the checks are from and it's verified, I don't see any need to call the police. Right. Now, thank so, you. Know, so you see, Mark, I'm actually, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think in this case, the bank is absolutely right up to a certain point. Um, I mean, you, you, you have 52 cents in your checking account. You've never had more than a couple hundred bucks in the checking account. And all of a sudden, you walk in with $100,000 spread out over three checks. You say you want to deposit this, and you want $13,000 cash back. I, I mean, I, I think the bank has every right to have some red flags go up, whether you're white or black or, or whatever. I mean, I think that's and, – and my guess is – that, you know, again, when banks look at these things, they, they look at the history of the client, how much money is typically in this account. Is this something that's unusual? Now, does that mean it's criminal? Of course not. In this case, it, it was it was settlement money. I think the bank has every right, and I, I don't quite understand. They say when they look at the watermark, it says void. I don't quite understand what that is. Quite, But, I mean, I think the bank has every right to ask some questions, and the bank certainly has every right to say to him, okay, sir, I know you want $13,000 back. You, you want to deposit eighty six grand, and you want $13,000 back. Okay, well, 
we're, we're not going to be able, you don't have enough cash in your account to cover that. So what's going to happen is you're not going to be able to take a cash withdrawal until these checks clear. And I think that is a perfectly reasonable thing. And my guess is banks do that all the time. I mean, maybe you've been in a situation like that where you deposit a check and you're told, well, okay, that, that's great, but we're going to have to hold it till we, we clear because – you know, you don't have enough other money to cash that. That, to me, is a perfectly reasonable position for the bank to take. And if the guy doesn't like that, that that's not racial profiling. That's just, I think, good business practice, especially given your history. Now, maybe if you're somebody who you know has a long-standing relationship with the bank and you know you've been doing business for 20 years and they're able to look at all the assets and you've got all these different accounts maybe they, they would choose to front you the money because that's essentially what this is while you're waiting for it to clear but I don't think they have an obligation to do it and in a situation where somebody walks in with 52 cents in their account and wants to cash a check for 13,000 and wants all 13,000 I understand why they wouldn't do it and I agree with our first caller Mark Where I think the bank goes wrong here is their decision to call the police. If the bank wants to protect themselves from fraud, got it. The bank doesn't want to be out $13,000 if it turns out these checks are bad and the guy is in the wind. They have every right to say, okay, these are our procedures. You can't have any cash back. We're going to take it. We're going to deposit it. We're going to send this off. The money is yours when, whenever it clears, whatever that standard policy is. Soon as it clears, you know, you can have the money. It means you're going to have to wait a couple days. If you don't like that, we're sorry, but that's the way it's going to be. I think where, in my opinion, the bank goes wrong, and I don't know if it's racial profiling or banking while black, it's when they make the decision to call the police. Because at this point in time, I, I don't think that they have enough information. They certainly do they even have reasonable suspicion to believe that this is fraudulent? The guy's story is, hey, this was a settlement. It was a lawsuit settlement. These are the checks I'm depositing in it. I think the bank, all right, you take the money. If I'm the bank, you tell the man, okay, you can't have the money until the check's clear, but otherwise you just go on your way. Now, is this the basis for, or should it be the basis for another lawsuit? That, that's that's a much tougher question for, for me, but I think where the bank, in my opinion, goes wrong is involving the police. Okay, we're getting a lot of text here. Jeff, a while back, we deposited a check from a nationally known financial company. We could not access those funds for about a week. This was our long-term bank. I'm not a person of color. I protested, but to no avail. The police were not called, nor did the bank try to verify my check. Yeah, I mean, th- that's it. You can't you can't do that. Um, let's see. Uh, this is from Heather in West Bend. I think the bank was right to double check. However, if it if I was this guy and was going to sue for discrimination, I wouldn't think I was discriminated against because of race. It would be because I was not very wealthy, perhaps financial discrimination. Of course, that's not the basis that you can file a lawsuit on that. Um, let's see. Dot, 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 dot. Uh, Jeff, I don't understand. At the first bank, if the checks read void, how was it they were able to checks to clear at the second bank? And I'm a little unclear on that, too. They, they say that's what the first bank said when they looked at the watermark. They think they saw something that said void on there. The checks were, of course, not void. Jeff, the only thing I disagree with is calling the police in a 30 for a 30 minute interrogation. I've had similar situations when I'm bringing in a large check for deposit and I've had to put 
my account on hold for five or six days or seven, and it clears, no big deal. I doubt it was necessary to call the police. And interestingly, TCF, in a statement about this, while they're defending their actions, they are saying, we we erred, our employees erred in making the call to the police. Not racially motivated, that's what they say, but we have concerns about, you know, whether we had concerns about whether or not this was fraud. But, you know, we agree that we should not have called the police. All right. Does the guy have a claim? I'm not convinced with that at all about that at all. But at the same time, I think by calling the police, the bank invited a lot of this scrutiny. Just saying. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. You know, a lot of times on this program, we, we talk about oh, what, what's going on in the world. And we, But by necessity, we talk a lot about the bad stuff. And I confess that occasionally you, you wonder, boy, you know, are, are we are we doomed? You know, when you, when you talk about what young people are doing and you say, oh, my gosh, there's more carjackings and there's this and there's that and there's the drug problem and stuff. And every once in a while, it, you, you lose sight of some of the feel good stories. Uh, there is a campaign that is going on at a number of area high schools, and it's quite likely that you may get a solicitation. There's a number of area teens. It's part of the Teen Challenge, which is put together every year by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And and what they do is they recruit high school kids at different high schools in the area. The kids then, the kids, the young people, then put together teams, some of their high school classmates, some adults, etc., to help raise money to, again, promote awareness and to fight this dreaded disease. Interestingly enough, I'm familiar with this year's campaign because my um, son-in-law is the past president of Lymphomia and Leukemia and Lymphomia Society, and um, his daughter, my, my granddaughter, is one of the people involved in this teen challenge, and chances are you are perhaps going to be being reached out to by somebody throughout the area at one of the different high schools. And I I brought them in on Friday afternoon to just have a little conversation about what this is all about. Here's the interview. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back. I'm joined in the studio right now by some people who are very near and dear to me to talk about a cause that everybody should care about. I'm joined in the studio by, first of all, my son-in-law, Darren Campbell. Darren, welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And my granddaughter, Gracie Campbell, and her friend, Lauren Baker. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Right, we're here to talk a little bit about something you're doing with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. First of all, Darren, what is the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society? So Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, or LLS, is the nation's largest nonprofit organization dedicated to curing and fighting blood cancers. Their sole mission, uh, succinctly put, is to cure blood cancers and uh, help help families and patients uh, and improve their quality of life. Now, you've been involved in this, this charity for a number of years. Yep, about seven seven or eight years. Started as a local campaign and then eventually joined their board of trustees. And it, it's a national organization. And so you're, you work with, of course, the Milwaukee chapters and things like that. But this is something, there's people all over the country that are working for this, right? Correct. Nationally, there's about 50-some chapter, chapters nationally. I work with the Wisconsin chapter Um Using, using resources locally to raise funds and then support that mission. One of the things that is very cool in the different fundraising activities is the fact that they have an event and a thing called Students of the Year. And Gracie and Lauren, that's why 
We're here to talk about the Students of the Year campaign. Um, Lauren, talk a little bit about that, if you would. So this is a seven-week fundraiser from January 21st to March 12th, where students all across the Milwaukee area are collecting funds to help beat blood cancer and help patients that currently have it. Now, Gracie, one of the things that I think is so cool about this is this is, it is student-driven. You and Lauren are with Sussex High School, but there's high school kids all over the area who are getting together, putting together teams to come up with different fundraising ideas. Yeah, so there are about 18 different teams that are all compete that we're competing against and we all have to come up with a team of about 10 people and Lauren and I have chosen a bunch of our friends from school and then also adults to help raise money and then that's what all the other teams are doing as well. So what are some of the th- things that your team for example are doing to try to raise money for this cause? Um, we are going to local businesses and asking for sponsorships. We're hosting different events, and then we're also setting out letters and emails to people and friends and family that we know that might be willing to donate and help us. Lawrence, since this is like teen-driven, um, wh- what have you learned a little bit from, from this whole process of getting together people to help raise money for this cause? This is a huge learning experience. It's teaching a lot of people skills and how to communicate with others and how to be a really good leader. You were talking earlier about how there's teens from all over the area, all these different high schools who are getting together and trying to do this. There is a a competition as well, right? Yes. So um, we're all competing against each other and trying to raise the most money as we can. Um, It's a blind competition, so we have no idea how much the other teams have raised. Um, So we find that out on March 12th, which is the um, day that the grand finale, which is the day that the competition concludes. Now, that's a gala, right, that they have? Yes. And I I know because I've been seeing some of the things that's going on, um, what your team has been doing and what other teams have been doing is they've been soliciting things and gifts for auctions that people can bid on and all that, right? Correct. Has this been an exciting process for you two to be involved in? Yes. (laughs) Very. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I guess for people who want to participate, whether it's through your group or for some, some of the other teams out there, how can people find more information about this? The easiest way is to go online, and you can search for studentsoftheyear.org, and that will bring up the campaign, and then you can search for Wisconsin Teams or Gracie and Lauren or by, by city or, or location. You can, you can search all of that. You're Darren, one of the most interesting things, too, has been that the teammates have been, I know, getting together and sending out letters and emails to people. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if someone listening to us right now, maybe they've gotten an email or they've gotten a letter, and this is what it's all about. It's something that's a very, very good cause. I, Absolutely, and, and hopefully if we've done our job right in this competition, a lot of people have gotten the word. I would just like to comment about the funds that are raised go in support of that mo- mission, curing blood cancers and helping uh, patients and their families. Um, a lot of that money actually goes right back to the state of Wisconsin. There's about $1.8 million went right back to people in Wisconsin in fiscal year 19. And the types of funds that we're raising aren't... Um, they're not small. So last year, the student class in the same competition raised over $400,000 in this short campaign. So it's a really impactful event. Gracie and Lauren, why did you decide to get involved in this particular cause? Um, I got involved because 
well, my dad's involved in the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, so I knew about it from him. But um, my grandpa had leukemia and passed away from his treatments. And um, I kind of saw how impactful that was. And I, like, I felt very impacted by his death. And then I saw the impact it had on my family as well. So I wanted to help out. Lauren, why did you get involved in this cause? Three years ago, my cousin was diagnosed with lymphoma. He was seven years old at the time. And this January, he is three years cancer-free, which is amazing, but he also has a lot of side effects that he's still experiencing. So I want to make sure that patients who do beat their cancer have an even better quality of life afterwards. You know, on my radio show, I end up talking a lot about the the bad stuff that goes on in the world, and and a lot of times the question that gets asked is, well, you know, what what's wrong with the youth of America? And what's wrong with young people that are doing this and that and whatever whatever the bad stuff is? And I have to tell you, watching you two young ladies and, and seeing how this whole event has gone through and all the different efforts you're putting in, it's really kind of life-affirming because, Darren, you understand that when people say, what's wrong with young people today, mm-hmm. you see you see these young people and you realize the answer is there's nothing wrong with young people today. That's 100% true. There's a lot of good people out there doing a lot of good work. So more information about this particular event Simply Google Students of the Year or check out the website for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. It is a wonderful event that's going on over the course of the next several weeks. Gracie and Lauren, Darren, I appreciate you all coming in today. Um, It's a wonderful cause, and I wish you the very best of luck. Thank you very much. Thank Thank you. you. Yeah, they they had all they came in Friday. Um, we we did that interview, and it, it has been interesting to see because this this is kid driven, and I, I've been to a couple of the meetings, but the, it's it's high school students who put together teams and they ask adults to participate but the driving thing is they're the ones that end up doing the work yeah some of the adults send out emails to some of their sources and maybe go around and and ask for donations and things like that but but basically this is very largely a a teenager driven event all throughout the area all these different schools that are participating it's been really really fun to watch all the kids getting involved and trying to raise money for a good cause and again if you get solicited by some for LLS and they say it's the teen challenge and the student of the year competition this is what it is all about this is Jeff Wagner back for more here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner number of people are commenting on that interview saying oh here's a a representative uh, text well-spoken kids Jeff nice segment on something I didn't know much about yeah they are very well they're they're high school sophomores that's um, and it's just like I say it has been very rewarding just to see on the periphery, uh, and I have been just on the periphery, just all, all the energy they're putting into this and all. That's great. Uh, do you have a ridiculous or amazing story from a previous road trip that you've taken? Are you planning on going to the Madison Camper and RV show and sale? Well, head to News Radio 620 WTMJ. Head to our Facebook page. Comment with your best road trip story. And you can win five tickets to the show. We will pick the five best stories by 10 a.m. on Wednesday, January 29th. So that is this Wednesday. All right, your best road trip story. Gru, who's producing the show today and always, you're looking at me. I have some really good road trip stories. I'm not sure I can share them, though. I think probably my best stories, my best road trip stories are probably ones that just stay on the road. You know what I mean? Do you ever go to, like, the world's largest ball of yarn? Do you, do you take the route to go to the places like that? 
on road trips? I do not. No? I do not. But that that would be the kind of thing. Do you? Yeah, Kaylee's usually the kind of person that's like, oh, we got to go to see that. Like, we went to this antique store that had this huge, huge uh, cow statue in front right. of it. And she's <laughs> like, we need to go see and take this picture of this cow statue. And I'm like, okay, okay. Yeah, there's there's the Paul Bunyan statue, or there's exactly. the, the, giant, the giant mouse that's eating the cheese. There's that out around there. You know, one thing I have always wanted to do and and this is kind of like in the area of useless information the old route 66 that starts in chicago and ends up in la i've always wanted to try to drive some of that now it doesn't it doesn't exist like it used to i even have a couple books that that tell you if you wanted to try to recreate the old i mean the original old route 66 this is what you'd have to do you'd have to turn off this road and go down this street but that's exactly it it's like going through all these like small towns and things like that. And I've always thought that would be kind of cool to take that kind of road That'd trip. That'd be fun, like a two-week trip kind of thing. Yeah, yeah and it would be two-week because, I mean, you're off the beaten path and stuff. And, again, you, you'd have to try to recreate it. And you couldn't do it exactly because some of the stuff doesn't – some of the roads that was Route 66 no longer right. exist. Yeah. But, but still, it, it always sounded cool. Here's the other interesting thing. Okay, my fascination with Route 66 – it helped me win a trivia contest a week or two ago. I, I was oh, that's right. I was participating in this trivia contest, and the the final we were in third place going into the the end. And the the question at the end was, what what states? It listed a bunch of states, and what states does Route sixty six, the original one, not run through? And I think we were the only team that got it right because. I mean, I, I knew a little bit about Route 66, and I also knew all the words to the song. And so, like, people are arguing with me. No, you got to, you know, you, you have to, you know, you it, Route 66 doesn't run through New Mexico, and it goes through Nevada. You can't get the, I said, no, no, no. Here, let me do the lyrics of the song. So it was one of those completely useless pieces of information floating around my head. But we won the trivia contest and, you know, a couple free dinners at the place where we were playing it. So There you go. There You, you, just, you just never know. But I've always thought that to your point not necessarily the world's largest ball of string but i I thought it'd be kind of cool to see americana like that hey i I didn't want to let the first hour of the show pass without commenting on the really shocking news that's out there yesterday i mean kobe bryant arguably one of the two three four best basketball players ever um retired nba star 41 years old passing away in a in a helicopter crash out in California yesterday along with his 13-year-old daughter apparently what what was going on is um Kobe Bryant used to I mean he he was famous even when he was playing in Los Angeles he lived in Orange County and he would he would chopper in to the the forum for for games and so he he was quite used to helicopter travel apparently they were I, I think Going on a um, it was like a basketball trip for a teenage basket teenagers basketball trips and they had uh, they had the coach along with them they had a guy who was a very successful um, junior college basketball coach and his wife there were what I think like eight people total um, that were involved in this and the I mean it's just a tragedy it shocked everybody if you've been listening to our news reports their NBA is doing all sorts of tributes to Kobe Bryant and and Kobe let me just say this at the outset Kobe Bryant was was not a perfect person. I mean the the legacy of Kobe Bryant as a as a basketball player is just it's just legendary. It's untouchable. You know there were there were issues that came up, you know, over the years involving, you know, Kobe Bryant. And so it, it is 
as is true for for many of us, if not all of us, it, there, there are certain complications that are there. But by all stretch of the imagination, by uh, everything people talk about, Kobe Bryant was in general a very, very positive force. And I, I think, you know, especially since retiring from basketball, he'd kind of settled into you know his life and was making major civic contributions. And there, there's no question, this is just, it's an incredible loss. It also, I mean, does raise some of these questions that are out there because I, I think it, it was one of the big questions, what happened? How did the helicopter go down? And by all accounts, as authorities are looking at this, the, the weather was just not suitable for flying. Um, very, very foggy. Matter of fact, apparently police police helicopters had been grounded because of the dense fog. And I don't know exactly what happens, but it sounds like the helicopter was flying, there was limited visibility, and they f- flew into something that it shouldn't have flown into, which, again, makes you wonder about, you know, who... Who ended up making the decision to go up that that morning um, in conditions that they probably should not have been flying in? But none of that changes the fact that that Kobe Bryant was just a, a transcendent basketball player who obviously affected a lot of lives and who obviously will be missed. And and the tragedy, of course, is compounded because there were other people on the helicopter, including his teenage daughter. Just a a, a terrible loss. And I'm sure over the course of the next week or so, there's going to be very very many deserved. Tri- to uh, the passing of Kobe Bryant in the helicopter crash uh, yesterday. Once again, it demonstrates a, a point that I, I think, you know, if, if you haven't realized this, trust me, you will at some point in time. Life is short. It, it just is. And you never know when, when something is going to happen that, that's going to just completely upend your view of, of what you think the future is going to be. I'm sure Kobe Bryant had, had no idea when he woke up yesterday morning that that was going to be the last morning he woke up. I mean, it just I, I, you had no idea that something like this was going to come. So whether it's helicopter crashes or plane crashes or car crashes or going into the doctor and getting a sudden diagnosis of a terminal illness. You never, you never know what life is going to, what turns life is going to take. And so it's why my mantra is, you know, life is short, and I'm never encouraging people to be irresponsible, but I do always encourage people to uh, just just enjoy the moment. John Lennon, I don't know if he was the first one to say it, but uh, he certainly said it. John Lennon always used to say, you know, life life is what happens when, when people are making plans, and, and sometimes... You know, we we make all these plans for the future, and this is where I want to be 20 years from now or 30 years from now. And, again, not encouraging people to be irresponsible or anything, but still, at the same time, you know, life is short. And um, sometimes you make all the best plans, and then something happens, and you just never get a chance to fulfill them. So um, Kobe Bryant dead at the age of 41. Sail on. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. At a campaign event last week in Grimes, Iowa, Guy came up to Elizabeth Warren and asked her the question that I think are one of the many questions that a lot of us would like to ask. And unlike some of those moderators at the debate, the, the guy offered his own thoughts on it. And you know what? It's a question that I don't think Elizabeth Warren has a very good answer for. Now, right now, let me just 
back into this topic. There is about $1.6 million in outstanding student loan debt. Students, for years and years, have been borrowing money to go to college. And there's all sorts of valid issues with the program. Because the federal government has agreed to pretty much loan people whatever they want, colleges, universities throughout the country, they've been able to just jack up their tuition and jack up their tuition and charge more, knowing that the kids are going to be able to get loans to cover it. And in some cases, you get these loans that are just un- unworkable. But but here's the the real deal, and this is what people to know need to know. Out of all that money that's out there, that $1.6 trillion in student debts, only about 10% of borrowers actually default on their student loans. So 90% of people with student loans make the payments and and pay off the loans, ultimately. And, And here's the deal. In the cases of the defaults, oftentimes they're small amounts of debt. Oftentimes, the defaults involve people who make less than ten grand. I mean, that, that's all. Who have less than ten grand in debt, and a lot of times, if you look at why the people defaulted, what you find is it's because they have behaved irresponsibly, and they've gotten all sorts of other kinds of debt, like like credit card debt. You know, you've got the student loans, and all of a sudden you run your credit cards up. Well, well, yeah, you, you don't have enough money to pay the student loans, but maybe you should have behaved a little bit more responsibly. So that that's the number, $1.6 trillion in debt, but only about 10% default. So into this walks Elizabeth Warren, and I think you probably know her plans. Her idea is the minute I am elected president, the day I am sworn in, I am going to cancel $640 billion in student loans up to $50,000 a person for people making less than $100,000. She says, this is going to help 42 million Americans. I'm just going to wipe out your student debt, and we'll figure out some way for somebody else to pay for that. So, okay, here's the deal. She's at this event in Grimes, Iowa. guy comes up to her, and he says, Senator, I just want to ask you one question. My daughter is just getting out of school. I saved all my money to put her through school. She is graduating without any student loans. Ms. Warren nods and says, God bless you. And then he says, here's my question. Am I going to get my money back? Am I going to get my money back? And she says, of course not. Of course you're not going to get your money back. At which point he says, so you're going to pay for people who didn't save any money. And those of us who did the right thing get screwed. He says, look, I have a friend, my buddy. He had fun. He bought a car. He went on vacations. I saved my money. I made sacrifices to send my kid through school. He made more money than I did, but I worked a double shift. I worked extra. My daughter has worked since she was 10 years old. She worked jobs to put herself through college. And you're telling me that we're out of luck and that he and his kid who didn't work and he who made more money but spent it all and took it all on loans, you're going to bail him out? And she says... Yeah, that's kind of how this is going to work. We build a future going forward by making it better. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is at the heart of, of this idea. Okay, we have kids that have student loan debt. Unquestionably, paying back 
Paying back loans is a pain, whether it's a student loan debt or whether it's a car payment or whether it's a mortgage, you know, pay or interest on a credit card. Paying back debt is, is always a pain and it limits your ability to do other things. But at the same time, the idea that we are just going to wipe out $640 billion in student loan debt, expecting somebody else to pay for it. And for those of you who either put yourself through college or put your kids through college and did not go into debt, you are out of luck. Is this fair? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And my answer is, of course it's not fair. I mean, if you, moving forward, you know, if you want to figure out ways to make I don't know, college more affordable. If you want to rein in out-of-control tuition costs at universities and the like, absolutely. But this idea that we're just going to have the President of the United States wave this magic wand and cancel hundreds of millions of dollars in legitimately obtained debt, I mean, things that people borrowed, well, why, why don't we wipe out all mortgage debt in this country? I mean, you know, what What about people, you know, who financed their homes at larger or higher rates a number of years ago? Should, should we bail that out? And what about this guy who says, hey, what about me? You know, I, I did the right thing. I worked hard. My kid worked. And now you're telling me that I'm out of luck because, you know, you want to benefit, you know, my buddy who, uh, again, spent money like a drunken sailor and, and took took all the good things in life and took out loans, and you're going to bail him out and you're going to punish me? Is that a valid question? Is it a valid point? My answer is you bet. And I, I don't think her response is, well, we have to start somewhere. I don't think that that's going to play very well with most Americans, especially American taxpayers. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Gru is lining up the calls. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. I think this is so interesting. Elizabeth Warren, if you're just tuning in, she's in Iowa, and she's talking about her, her plan to wipe away wipe away student loan debt for, well, people making less than $100,000. That, that's the idea. It's going to cost $640 billion. So a guy comes up to her and says, wait a second, my, my, my daughter's graduating from college. She worked since she was 10 years old saving for college. I worked two jobs to put her through college. She's got she's going to graduate. She's got no student loan debt. But we we had to give up things. We didn't go on vacations. You know, we we didn't get the newer cars. We saved and we're really proud of this. My buddy who makes more money than me, he borrowed. You know, borrowed all this money to send his kid through college. He has a newer car. He makes more money. He went on vacations. He spent like a drunken sailor and you're going to bail him out. You're going to bail him out. What do I get? She says, you don't get anything. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. How does this make any sense at all? Now, again, if you want to talk about plans to make college cheaper, rein in out-of-control tuition, I'm all in favor of it. But this idea that we're going to wave our magic wand and suddenly everybody who has these debts doesn't have to pay them, I, I think it's outrageous. Sandy and Franklin. Sandy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Um, I, I guess I really agree with, I'm in the position of that man that she met. Um, my kids, so my, my son graduated from UWM last May and my daughter is graduating this May and they made the decision, you know, they've, they've had jobs since they were 16 years old. 
safe, never got new clothes, never shopped. They knew they had college to pay for. And when all their kids, all their friends were going off to college, you know, it was hard for them to say, well, we're just going to live at home and commute so that we can do it as affordably as possible. And they completely sacrificed, just like this guy did. And um, there is no magic wand. Um, yeah. In the end, this, this response gives nothing back to us who sacrificed, and, and in this case, our kids, who worked their butts off to make the right decision in life. And I think in, in the end, there is no magic wand. And it's, it's, it's not an answer. It's a, it's a ploy for votes, and it's, it's, it's hurting the people that are doing the right thing. Well, right. It, it's right. It, it gives you no incentive to want to, to use your phrase, do the, the right thing. Why, why would you buy, you know, why, why bother doing the right thing? These people that, that saved and scrimped and made sacrifices and worked, they're, they're, Elizabeth Warren is treating them all as chumps. You know, yeah, you, you, you guys were chumps in, in all this. I mean, how, how can you, how can mm-hmm. you not, again, if you want to be, if you want to move forward and you say, okay, we need to figure out ways to make this more affordable, et cetera, but how can you just cancel legitimately incurred debt, you know, agreements that people had. It just seems to me to be fundamentally wrong. Right. Yeah. And I can see where people would want to, oh. you know, just have their debt wiped out. I don't blame them for, oh, for yeah. trying to go for it. Oh, <laughs> I don't no. blame them at all. But in the end, it's, 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 it yeah. just doesn't make sense. No, I think that, well, no, I mean, I, no, I don't, I don't fault that. Okay. Can I see a show of hands? Everybody that has mortgages. If, if suddenly you had, you know, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders who came in and said, all right, we're going to wipe off all your mortgage debt. You know, that money you owe on your house, forget it. You know, we're going to have somebody else pay for it. You know, we're going to have somebody else pay for it. Well, of course you'd like that. I understand that. Everybody wants something for nothing. But, you know, look, I, I think in some respects, what you have to understand, that's why I started this conversation. Only about one, about only about one in ten student loans actually defaults. Most people make the payments. Now I understand it might mean that it's it's tougher to get married or buy that car or whatever because you're making the student loan debt. But in the case of the student loan defaults, a good portion of it comes from first of all it's smaller debts, and secondly it's people that have behaved irresponsibly. You run up the credit cards so you can't make th- those payments. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Joe and Grafton. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Joe. Okay, so um, basically, like, I'm a freshman in uh, college right now, and uh, you know, I'm going to like uh, you know cheaper school in the area. Right. And you know, th- think about it. Like people that are your age or people that are my parents' age, you know, they're probably going to have to foot the bill for it mm-hmm. because you know you're probably going to be getting taxed by that. But the other thing is, you know. People that are going to like say UW Madison, and you know the tuition is oh I don't even know how much like probably ten k plus. Right. Would you say yeah? Yeah, yeah. Well, or, 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 or figure. I'm pri- probably for, paying. I'm probably what? I was going to say figure. Forget forget a uh, public school. Think think about Marquette or some private school where the tuition's probably double that twenty k. Let's say. Yeah, because I'm probably paying maybe a, a tenth of that. Right. But here's the thing: like, if you think about like yourself or like anyone else, you know, if you've gone to college, you know, you paid the money, you say like, yeah, paid off, I don't know, forty k in student loan debt, and then you're gonna have to come around, and you know, they, they're gonna say that, yeah, you know, we're gonna tax the top one percent, like the mm-hmm. Bezos and the Buffets and all that. Well, the thing is that mostly the middle class is gonna get hit by it. 
Oh, like ab- you're going to be paying the bill. Oh, ab- absolutely. No, thanks. You're, you're right. By the way, I, absolutely going to be paying the bill. Um, here's I got an interesting text from another uh, uh, guy in college, and he says, "Look, I, I have to admit, I'm just kind of treading water, paying my uh, student loan bills right now because I, I'm hoping one of these goofballs gets elected because I think it would be great." Uh, I'll here's I'll be honest. I'm going through the motions, paying my student loans, hoping one of these goofballs magically gets elected and makes it go away. I'll never vote for him, but if it happens. Happens, then great. Well, yeah, I, I I understand it. This this would be the great thing. But w- where is the cutoff? What about this guy who just paid for you know his daughter's education? You know what? I don't know why. Why don't we go back in time? What about all of us who you know took out student loans who ended up paying them off? We all made certain sacrifices, but now the idea is well we we can't do that anymore. Give me a break. And and no, I I don't think in this particular case asking what about me is is all that wrong and believe me elizabeth warren is very serious about this this is her plan people you know we're going to just get rid of it up to fifty thousand dollars in student loan debt for every person just magically off the books hmm. sam and McHenry. sam you're on wtmj good afternoon hey how you doing jeff real well thank you so every time you turn the tv on what's the discussion why is the country so divided well this is why because the government has a printing press, they're printing money, they're just throwing it around haphazardly to anybody that will vote for them, and you wonder why the people who are trying to do things the right way are battling with the people who don't want to do the things the right way, and this is just going to further divide the country. Yeah. And but we saw this with the real estate market, too. You know, they just started throwing loans around like there was no tomorrow, and it just it destroyed right. the real estate market, and it really has not fully recovered from all of that, and that goes back to Bill Clinton. So now we're going to do it with the college loans and just keep devaluing the whole U.S. economy until the thing is just there's nothing left anymore. Well, no, Sam, but, you, you know, I'm sorry, you, you didn't mean to cut you off. You, yeah, you're you're exactly right. Now, look, I I think you know one of the fundamental problems, and this this goes through the Obama years, it goes through the Bush years, etc., has been we have allowed colleges and universities to run up their tuitions. Now, I understand we've had a tuition freeze in Madison for a couple of years, but that's been a struggle. But colleges and universities have just charged more and more and more. There haven't been any sort of limitations. And the flip side is we have said that we'll, we'll guarantee you loans. The federal government will underwrite the cost of, of your education without putting any sort of limits on what the universities or the colleges could charge. And as a result of this, you know, you've had this huge expansion in cost. So the kids, young people, coming out of college more and more in debt. And I understand for some people it's kind of a bleak thing. But, you know, here, here's the bottom line. I do, do, I'm a big believer in I'm a big believer in secondary education. I mean, don't 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 get me wrong. I, I went about as far as you can go in in school, and, but it's not right for everybody. This I if this idea is here, go hide out in college for a couple years, rack up a huge amount of debt, and then we're just going to forget about it. Or we're going to make other people pay for it. And everybody who thinks it's only going to be Jeff Bezos or Warren Buffett who ends up paying to wipe off $640 billion in in college debt. um, Okay, anybody who thinks like that, my comment is make sure you tuck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck so you don't break something. This will end up hurting everybody. Now, again, if if she wanted to say, look, we've got to rein in costs 
And, and I think these costs are, are way too high. And, you know, we've got to make it real clear what these limits are. And by the way, we also want to require colleges and universities and law schools and medical schools and, you know, MBA programs. We want to require people to give the students an honest assessment of what the job market is like. I mean, I, I, I've talked about this before. The, the job market, okay, I graduated from law school in 1982. The, the job market for lawyers when I got out of law school was markedly different than the job market now. There, there's, the, you know, the, the, the days of here, all these big firms doing nothing but hiring and throwing money at people to the extent they ever existed, they don't exist now. It's a very, very competitive market. And, you know, the, the people that are doing the best, you know, you graduate at the very top of your class from a law school, you're, you're going to get a job. But there's a lot of people who, who don't. And I don't think they have any idea. You have, I, I know there's a lot of students. You graduate from college, you've got your degree in history or English. I'm not dissing those degrees, but you don't know exactly what to do with them. All right, I know what, I'll, I'll, I'll go to law school here and I can get the loans to go to law school. Okay, that's great. And, but you, you go in there without, I don't know if I want to be a lawyer or not, and I don't know what the job market's like, and you come out in the middle of your class, so you still got a law degree, nothing wrong with that, but you walk into this brutal job market, except now, in addition to being fifty, sixty, eighty thousand $80,000 in debt from your undergrad, now you've got another $100,000 in student debt from you know your law school years, you're $200,000 in debt, and you can't get a job as a lawyer. Well, I think maybe some of these law schools should be honest with the kids, saying, okay, this is what the job market's going to look like, so just so you you realize it's not like everybody in your graduating class is suddenly going to go and, and work for some silk stocking law firm in New York City. So we have all sorts of problems. I understand that. And it starts with transparency and it starts with honesty. But this idea that we're just going to magically expect $640 billion in, in debt to disappear, we're going to pay for it, somebody else's money. Again, I, I understand it's pie in the sky. It is the worst kind of pandering to, I think, in this case, you know, young people. Hey, vote for me. I'll make your debts go away. It's magic. Well, the real world doesn't work like that. And I give credit to this guy in Iowa for at least raising this question, even though Elizabeth Warren didn't want to hear it. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This next little piece, I, I just I'd, I'd lump it in the category of when you're wrong, be strong. And I won't spend a lot of time on this because I've just I've been fascinated by the story over the course of the last couple weeks. Um, you, you have in early February, there's going to be the primary election for Milwaukee County executive. There were six people who wanted to be on the ballot. Two of the people, former state senator Jim Sullivan and Glendale Mayor Brian Kennedy, have been booted off the ballot for, well, actually, that's really not fair. They didn't turn in enough valid signatures to qualify to be on the ballot in the first place. And we've discussed this, but if you haven't been following it, the the law says you've got to turn in 2,000 valid signatures. You have to to be nominated to be on the ballot. You have to obtain and turn in 2,000 valid signatures. All right. The law also says that people who circulate the petitions are only allowed to circulate a petition for one candidate. You have to say, hey, I support this candidate. That's what you verify. And you're only allowed to get signatures for one candidate. If a person 
circulates petitions for more than one candidate, what happens is the first signatures they get, those are valid for that first candidate. And any signatures they get for other candidates are invalid. The law is incredibly clear on this. Well, back in the day, you know, candidates would get their own signatures for office. They, they and, and, and 2,000 signatures, 2,000 valid signatures is nothing in Milwaukee County. It, it's just, it's just nothing. You and a couple volunteers go out, you hit a couple big events on a Saturday or Sunday, you're, you're gonna get, you're gonna get three or 4,000 signatures, no problem. But nowadays, apparently candidates are too, number one, lazy to do it, and number two, they decide they want to come up with ways to funnel money legally to people they want to support them. So they hire out this process. They outsource. And what happened is Sullivan and Kennedy outsourced this. They hired a community organizer, in part, I think, because they wanted to curry favor with the African-American community. So they hired this community organizer to go get signatures. What they didn't know is that the community organizer was using the same people to go get petitions to get petitions filled out for multiple candidates. Oops. So they get these signatures back. Well, it turns out that a number of them aren't valid. And by the time you get rid of the signatures that were obtained improperly, Kennedy and Sullivan don't have enough valid signatures to be on the ballot. So Friday afternoon, a Milwaukee County Circuit judge, Kevin Martins, ruled Hey, the law is real clear. You know, they're, they're, Jim Sullivan, you're, you need 2,000. By the time we strike the ones that were not properly obtained, that you're down to 1,400 and some. You, you can't be on the ballot. Same thing is true for Brian Kennedy. Now, I sent out a tweet on this Friday night. It was kind of annoying. The Journal Sentinel wrote a story about this, and the reporter is a woman named Allison Durr. Buried in the story, she feels compelled to report that uh, the judge, Kevin Martins, was appointed in 2001 by a Republican, and that Sullivan and Kennedy are both Democrats. Now, number one, it's a nonpartisan office. But number two, why would you put that in there? I mean, really, what, this is what happens with what's going on at the Journal Sentinel, where they're getting rid of editors, and they're, they've got reporters that don't have that much seasoning. I mean, really, what, what, what is the point she is trying to make, that 20 years ago the judge was appointed by a Republican and these two guys are Democrats, even though they're running for a nonpartisan office, is the implication that this was somehow a conspiracy by the Republican-appointed judge 20 years ago to keep Democrats off the ballot? I mean, it's like, what, what is your point here other than to take a really cheap shot at the judge? But, okay, that in any event... The judge gets it right. The law is really, really clear, orders these two guys off the ballot. And instead of simply coming forward and saying, hey, we screwed up, you know, we, we shouldn't have outsourced this. It's, oh, this is terrible because you're, you're denying the right of the different people who signed our nominating papers to have us on the ballot. Well, big deal. I'm sure those people will get over it. And the lesson to candidates moving forward is you got to pay attention to the details. The small stuff does matter. And by the way, getting 2,000 valid signatures for your nominating papers, that's not really small stuff. So I thought this was going to be the end of it on Friday because, again, the law is really crystal clear. There's no discretion in the law. The law says if you have petitions, the same person turns in multiple nominating petitions for different candidates, the first ones count, the other ones don't. The law is crystal clear on this. So I, I thought this was going to be the end of it. Except the report over the weekend is 
in the category of when you're wrong, be strong, Jim Sullivan and Brian Kennedy are going to the Court of Appeals in Madison to try to get them to issue some sort of emergency order declaring that they have to be on the ballot. Again, it's just every once in a while, I just love to have a candidate come out and say, you know, we screwed up. We screwed up big time. It is unfortunate. We had all these plans, but we we messed up. And, you know, next time we're going to try to do better. And this should be a lesson moving forward to people that you got to pay attention to these details instead of, oh, this is terrible. All these people are being disenfranchised because we were sloppy and lazy and we tried to, I don't know, outsource this stuff so we could spend money currying favor with certain elements of the community by hiring a community organizer who then hired people. We're trying to spread out campaign cash, legally speaking, but this is what happens when you outsource stuff that you should be doing. I hope, hope, hope the Court of Appeals in Madison doesn't bail these guys out. And it's not personal animus. I don't have a horse in the race for Milwaukee County Executive. I don't live in Milwaukee County. And candidly, the front runner is Chris Larson, who is way, 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 way out to the left. And if Chris Larson gets elected Milwaukee County Executive, God help Milwaukee County. If you think your taxes are bad now, you haven't seen anything if Chris Larson becomes the county executive with the makeup of the Milwaukee County Board. You haven't seen anything yet if you think your taxes are bad. So do I think Sullivan or Kennedy would probably be a superior alternative to Chris Larson? Yeah, the answer is I I do. But the bottom line is they screwed up, and the court shouldn't ignore the law in bailing them out. It is an unfortunate thing that it all happened, but the lesson to candidates moving forward is sweat the details, do the work yourself, and then make sure you don't have a problem. And I hope the Court of Appeals doesn't bail these guys out. And again, that's they, they might both make a better county executive than the guy who's the front runner, but they messed up, and the law is the law. All right, when we come back, how freaked out are you? Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. On a scale of one to ten, with ten being I am so freaked out I cannot leave the house. To one being, eh, it's no big deal. How freaked out are you about this coronavirus? Now, I, I ask this question because the stock market right now, the Dow is down 370 points. The NASDAQ is down 144 points. And, and the reason is almost exclusively because of worldwide fears over the spread of this coronavirus. Now, what is the coronavirus? It's it's the the latest respiratory virus. In this case, it has come out of China. It's killed what about you know eighty people in China. There have been announced cases, like a handful of cases in the U.S. China has set out massive quarantines and, you know, pretty much prohibited like travel. It started in one province in Chicago, in, in Chicago, in China, and it's it has spread. But China is trying to control it now for most people. I mean, this isn't the plague. The coronavirus is a respiratory 
infection. If you get it, the, the symptoms in many cases are, are going to be like a cold. And you, it, it run, there's, no, there's no shot they can give you to make you feel better. But it's like a cold. It's like a respiratory infection. In some people, particularly people who are older with compromised immune systems or whatever, it, it can lead to pneumonia. And, you know, it, it can cause death. I think in the cases of, of almost everybody that, that's passed away as a result of this, they, they've all they, they've been elderly. So, I mean, it, it, it's dangerous. Health officials are, of course, alarmed. But we have had other things like this. Now, I mean, keep in mind, about 200,000 people each year in the United States are hospitalized with the flu. About 35,000 people die as a result of the flu. Now, again, in, in most of those cases, it's it's people with compromised immune systems, et cetera, et cetera, and the flu is what puts them over the the flu is what puts them over the edge. Now, I'm not trying to downplay this, and obviously, you want to catch it, you want to avoid this. the The best example of something similar to this was back in 2003, probably, where you had the the SARS virus that spread, and lots and lots of people, you know, got sick. But ultimately, uh, that killed about 800 people worldwide during the outbreak in 2003. But at least today, stock markets are down because the, the, the investment community is just freaked out about, okay, what is this going to do to travel? And is this going to destroy the airlines and the hospitality industry and things like that? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I, I don't want to be irresponsible in anything I'm saying here, and I acknowledge I mean, nobody wants to get sick, and this is kind of a scary sort of, of thing, but it isn't the plague. And I guess my feeling on this is, a, as a concern, do I want to catch this? Absolutely not. Would I be traveling to China on for fun? Absolutely not. If I had a business trip to China and they allowed people to go in, I would probably try to reschedule this. No question about any of that. But at the same time, Am I am I panicked? Am I sitting here thinking, okay, well, I, I can't leave the house? The answer is is no. I guess I'm probably closer to that one or two on that concern meter than I am to the ten. All right, our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Text Line. You've got the investment community today, at least, apparently just freaking out over this this entire thing and talking about, oh, this could long term, this could just destroy the airline industry and everything. I, I guess I I don't see it like that. I, I think you know people in general are going to go about living living their lives, and you know, is this a scary respiratory illness? Absolutely. Do you want to take precautions? Absolutely. But the flu kills, like I said, 35,000 people in this country every year. And, okay, we still go on and about with our, our lives. So my number would be about a one or a two. And, yes, I acknowledge that there might be certain travel plans. If I was traveling to areas where there had been an outbreak of this, would I reschedule? Yeah, but you know what? I'm supposed to go to Florida in a couple weeks. My plans are we're going to get on an airplane. We're going to go down to Florida in a couple weeks. I'm not canceling out. How freaked out are you? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Gru is lining up the calls. We are back to discuss in just a couple of moments. The coronavirus. Are you in a panic? 
So, should you wear a mask? That we, we talked a little bit about this on, on Friday's show. Um, you, you see these people that are, that are wearing the masks, and, well, uh, okay, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on the radio, but a number of, for example, I'm looking at some of the websites that do, and they say, well, first of all, in the United States, where there have only been a handful of confirmed cases so far, the, the risk of infection is, is so small that it's way too low to start wearing a face mask. On top of this, the, the, it, you, if you're going to wear a face mask, those those cheap things that you buy, like at the at the local pharmacy or the local Walmart or whatever, they're, they're almost useless. I mean, what you need, the surgical masks, for example, of like doctors and nurses wear in the in the operating room. Okay, these these are special medical things that are tailored. They're fitting. Um, most of the surgical masks that you can get, the, the cheap ones, like the paper ones, well, they they don't they're not form fitting. They have like gaps, and so they let in air. And so if they're going to be letting in air, they're letting in again the potential for the virus or people ah, my chin itches so here i'm going to pull back the mask and scratch it well okay you've just kind of defeated the purpose the, the bottom line of all this is again i i'm not trying to poo poo this and i understand it could potentially be a big deal and i'm not discounting the fact that you have 80 people that have died from this but the the truth of the matter is for most of us i, I think this idea that oh we're on the verge of a worldwide pandemic is just it, it There's nothing that bases this so far. And again, just like the flu. Now, I'm a big proponent of getting the flu shot. But most of the people, you get the flu, and you're going to be uncomfortable for a couple days. All right? First, you know, maybe in the initial symptoms hit you, you're afraid you're going to die, and then you're afraid you're not. You know, that kind of stuff. I'm being flipped. But you got to know what I mean. But ultimately, you, you get better. And again, for most people, this is a respiratory infection. What are the advice? What do they tell you? They say get bed rest and drink plenty of, plenty of liquids and let your own immune system take care of it. Now, again, there are certain people, compromised, you know, immune systems, uh, the, the very old or maybe the very young could be a bigger deal. At the same time, this idea that, oh, my gosh, the stock market's going to tank or, oh, my gosh, you're not going to have any sort of tourism coming from China over the course of the next six months. I just I don't see it at all. Uh, let's go to some texts while Gru is lined up the calls. 855-616-1620 is the Acunet Mortgage uh, talk and text line. Uh, Jeff, uh, the market can remain freaked out as uh, long after you are insolvent. I'm watching this as a number two on on the scale. Jeff, stocks run on emotion. This is kind of expected. Until I see otherwise, I think this is another SARS-style panic driven partially by media sensationalism. I give it a one. Jeff, um, I put the contravirus right up there with the impeachment hearings. I'm not worried at all. Jeff, in my 20s, something like this and even getting on planes made me nervous. Now that I'm past 50... I'm a solid zero. No fear of this or anything. Matter of fact, I'll be at Harris, New Orleans on February 7th. Um, hope this actually keeps the buffet lines down. Well, there you go. Uh, Jeff, I don't, I mean, our company's factory in China has told their workers to stay home until February 8th to stop the spread of this virus, which now affects shipments to our U.S. customers. I don't want to do any international travel. I'm even leery of domestic travel. Now, to that point, I, I look, I, I understand. If I were... If I were scheduled to go to China anytime soon, I would probably be asking a lot of hard questions saying, do I have to go in the next week or can we wait till this kind of all levels out? 
I also certainly understand that if you are at the epicenter of this, if you're in the province in China where, you know, all this, the Wuhan province of China, where all this is, is going on, yeah, I, I, I understand. You've got a virus which is spreading. You want to do whatever you can to try to quarantine the people who might have been exposed to it. So I think that's a, a perfectly reasonable thing. I think it is perfectly reasonable, and I said this on Friday, for the United States to take a long, hard trip at, okay, who, you know, incoming flights from overseas, all right, flights in from China and all, all right, let's figure out where people have been, let's screen people. Now, it is a little bit scary because just like the measles, you can be carrying the virus for days before it actually manifests itself, I mean, just like a, like a cold. You know, there's, you know, you, you can be getting sick from a cold a couple days Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Well, as somebody who's spent most of his life in this area, I've seen businesses come and go. I've seen retail come and go. I've seen shopping centers come and go. Northridge, still, it's kind of mind-boggling to me. If you remember what the Northridge Shopping Center was in the 80s and the early 90s and now recognize it's this dilapidated building that probably is going to have to be torn down, it's it's just amazing. Of course, the, the decline of Northridge goes along with the decline of that entire area. And now you're starting to see something going on in Glendale involving what used to be Bayshore Shopping Center and then morphed into Bayshore Town Center, and now they are simply calling Bayshore. I will tell you, I understand what the developers say. I understand what the city hopes. But you know what? I I just, and I hope I am wrong, But I tell you, the more indicators you see, the more it looks like these grand plans are just kind of pie in the sky. Now, during our newscast, uh, during the news, you heard Jane Matinair. She was doing a report about some of the latest closings at Bayshore. One of, um, and I admit, that one of the places that I used to go from time to time for beer, I used to like it. Bar Louie, you ever been there, group? Bar Louie at Bayshore, you've never been there. It actually, it was a place that... um, we used to go to a lot, and I, I liked it. Um, it was probably one of the more popular places in Bayshore. Well, Bar Louie at Bayshore has now closed. The Bar Louie downtown has closed. The Bar Louie, the corporation, is going into bankruptcy. They're not closing all their stores, but they're closing about a third of their restaurants nationwide, and they hope to have a buyer. But anyhow, the one at Bayshore goes. Now, this comes on top of all the other restaurants that are closing at Bayshore. Food court's gone. You've got the Applebee's, which was one of the worst Applebee's ever. But the Applebee's at Bayshore is gone. Devon's is gone. Bravo Sprecher's gone. Home is gone. You've got one business after another that that is closing. I'm just looking at, you know, some of the stores here. Uh, let's see, just most recently, uh, women's retailers, Chico's, White House, Black Market to close stores at Bayshore. I mean, it's just one store after another. 
that is closing at, at Bayshore. Now, if you listen to the the developers, they say, oh, this is all part of the, this master plan. What we want to do is we want to shrink retail from 830,000 square feet to 520,000 square feet. So it, it's all these retailers, everybody bailing. It's all part of our, our master plan. And what we're going to do is we're going to start, uh, we're going to build apartments and offices and, and maybe even a hotel that we're going to develop there. And, and maybe we're going to have the space for new retail. Okay, I, I, I get it. That's kind of the pie-in-the-sky uh, approach to this. But the bottom line is you got people that are just bailing one restaurant after another. People are heading out of there like the coronavirus had broken out, and, and it hasn't. But, you know, everybody's saying, oh, nothing to see here. This is going to be, this is going to be wonderful. This is going to be the future. Our number Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, empty space, stores bailing right and left. Plans that okay, don't worry, we're we're gonna. This is all part of the plan. We're gonna regear. We're gonna have all these restaurants leave. We're gonna have all these stores leave. But you know, bottom line is we'll. We'll, we'll be able to replace them. And then we're going to have office buildings and we're going to have apartments. And it, it's going to be the, this new paradigm. Huh. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I hope I am wrong. I, I really, I, I do, because I grew up in Glendale. I can remember Bayshore Shopping Center in the 60s when it was sort of a a, a, a strip shopping center, you know, all outdoors. Then I can remember when you went to the interior mall. Then I can remember when it became the town center. And I mean, did okay for a while. And then kind of, you know, the the whole concept started to to fail. All right. Is this going to be the the new thing? Is this going to revive Bayshore as a thriving area? Or are we seeing, okay, this is just Northridge redo. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I'm not, I understand the problems at Bar Louie, which I thought was always probably the most successful restaurant that they had at Bayshore. That's, it's beyond the simple Bayshore location. Like I say, the, the company's going into bankruptcy. They're closing a, a third of their stores nationwide, hoping to find some buyer that comes in. I understand all that. But you look at all the different closings. You look at the places that are leaving, and you wonder, you know, who's going to really come back to there, especially given all the other building that's going on downtown, that's going on in Brown Deer, that's going on in Mequon, that's going on in Fox Point. I mean, how how's Bayshore going to make it? And candidly, I color me questionable. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think the future of this is going to be? Let's start with Kyle in Fox Point. Kyle, you're first. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, weigh in on the Bayshore um, issue right now. I think ultimately I've seen the renderings. I've seen everything they're proposing. You know, it looks okay. I think it looks fine. But I think the biggest issue, you've mentioned Northridge, is going to be safety. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think right now is what you saw with the U.S. Bank parking lot that just happened. There's been things going on the last, especially last couple of years. Yeah, you're referring to a murder in the parking lot yesterday morning. <laughs> I, I, it's funny. Yes, exactly. I, I, I was driving past there yesterday, and I noticed, oh, this is probably about 1030, and I noticed I was on the freeway going south, and I noticed, hey, the police yeah. have Bayshore all shut off. wonder what that's going on. And then I come back, and I see, oh, <laughs> somebody got killed there, you know. <laughs> but the police, the Glendale police are saying, nothing to see here. Don't worry about it. Somebody got killed at Bayshore. Exactly. Yeah, I'm going to be worried, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah I saw that. They're like, yeah, don't worry about the public. There's no nothing going on. It's like, well, it happened right by the, you know, Cheesecake Factory, U.S. Bank, that parking lot. And the thing I look at is if you go especially to, like, the corners of Brookfield, uh, you go in there, there's literally a security person almost every single corner. Like, you right. go through there, you feel completely safe. You have a good experience. I think that's ultimately going to be Bayshore's downfall is security. No matter if you bring a total wine, you bring this or that, if someone and consumers do not feel safe in the space, people will not come, period. Right. And thanks. And, and that, that doesn't just apply, by the way, Kyle. It doesn't just apply to retail and, and shoppers there. It, it applies to uh, apartments. It applies to uh, businesses. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if there is a concern exactly. about safety. Right, thanks. See, that's. And I understand if, if some of my friends in Glendale who are listening to this are cringing. Well, it's, it's because. I'm finding it harder and harder to buy into this notion that, okay, th- this is all, it's all part of the plan. We don't care if one store after another is closing down. We don't care if pretty much all the restaurants that we had are, are now all gone. You know, it, oh, it, it doesn't matter. We're, we'll, we'll replace them or, or we want a smaller footprint. Now, I, I understand. I, I have friends who have forgotten more than I will ever know about shopping centers and retail operations. And, and, and the truth of the matter is that the big malls, they're, they're, they're dying. That's just the reality. With all due respect, I think it's fine that Mayfair is still around. Brookfield Square is changing dramatically. It's moving away from retail and more towards entertainment-based things. Um, but but it's it's just it is a it is a struggle all around. And if if you look at the retail shopping that's thriving, it tends to be in the, like the small strip malls um, where you have. A lot of the stuff that's service-related, like the haircut places and the workout places and the Jimmy Johns and those types of things. As far as retail, you know, more and more people are ordering stuff over Amazon. The idea of this giant shopping mall where you go and you kind of wander around like Fast Fast Times and Ridgemont High, that that's that's gone and it's not coming back. It's why it's so ridiculous to me that the people who are trying, the owners of Northridge who have done nothing with that site for the last 15 years are now saying, oh, we're going to have this thriving mall. No, nobody thinks that's going to survive. So I give the folks at Bayshore credit for trying to reinvent themselves, but it, it seems like how are you going to bring this back if one business after another, including businesses that have been your staples, are are bailing? I mean, who's going to want to to be there? And then to Kyle's point, if you factor in the whole crime issue, um, whole crime issue, it, it it just it just makes it worse. Let's talk to Tim in Oconomowoc. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon, Jim. Be sure it's had a long-standing issue. It's an issue of crime. They keep on trying to put lipstick on the pig and say, no, it's not. Look at the local paper, listen to the radio, listen, watch TV. You'll see the crime that gets reported up and down Port Washington Road. They are not alone. They're no different than what happened to Capitol Court, what's happening to Mayfair, what happened to Southridge, what happened to Northridge. Unless we as a 
people stand up to our local government agencies and say, quit putting your head in the sand and thinking crime is going away, it's going to continue to be this way. Well, I mean, safety, uh, is certainly, safety is certainly a factor. That, I think, is one of the reasons, I think we all agree, that Northridge went, went under. One of many reasons, but certainly one. People didn't feel it was safe right. anymore. If you want to continue to drive people to shop online, let the crime go awry. Yeah. Don't do anything about it. Hell, Simon Goes Hospital pulled the plug. Just get avoid the crime and the no pay rate. Yeah, nothing called him. No, you're you're. I mean that that is that is certainly an issue. And again, it's it's not just it's not just for retail. If the plan is we're going to have high end apartments, or the plan is we're going to have these office buildings, and we're going to try to get businesses to come in there, it, you know that that's the factor that you have to control a, as well. But you need. You, you look. You can make something like this work. I mean, look at Oak Creek. I mean that that whole that that whole Drexeltown Commons area it is thriving. You look at at what they've done in Brookfield with the corners. That's that's an area that that's thriving. They've ended up getting it right. I don't know. I, I know is is Bayshore going to be able to come back? And again, I I hope. I hope it is. But when every time you pick up the newspaper or listen to the radio or turn on the television and you find, all right, more and more stores are are bailing. But don't worry. Don't worry. This is part of our master plan. You know, we want everybody to leave. Well, okay, (laughs) that's that's fine. But there's still got to be something that's going to attract people there. And if there are no restaurants that are in operation, you've got a Trader Joe's and you've got an Apple store. Oh, okay, that th- those are great, but that's not enough to build a community around. Let's talk to Bob in West Bend. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Uh, yes, I'm actually in the, the limousine business. And uh, the reason I purpose that is because I look at the Whitefish Bay community and I think part of the problem there is an aging population and yep. they have less discretionary income. Yep. So if you look at other communities like Mequon, they're still spending like crazy. Brookfield spending money. Or if you look in the third ward, fifth yep. ward, where the hit places to be, those places are all thriving. Yep. And I think but where they're physically located, those people around there are getting to the end of their earning capacity. So they're not going out to eat as much or shop yep. as much. So I think they're up against that as well yeah no i don't i think i mean i i don't i mean i i don't i don't disagree um which makes me you know i've talked about this on this program before i've kind of watched that there's this building boom that's going on you know all over there's all there's there's apartments and condos particularly apartments that's the latest thing that's being built and there's luxury apartments being built in brown deer and there's luxury apartments being built in fox point and there's all these luxury apartments being built in mequon and and my question continues to be okay who and downtown, who who's going to fill these? I mean, at, at some point in time, all right. I mean, I understand they have young people who want to live downtown. Okay, that that's great. That that's fine. And they move downtown for a little bit until they end up, you know, getting married, and having kids, and then they want to, you know, find a little house in the suburbs. And that's all all great. And then you've got the empty nesters who, for example, in our case, want to stay in the North Shore. Okay, that that's great. But there's only so many of those people that are around. I just. I think it is going to be an uphill struggle. And again, I, I want Bayshore, they don't call it Bayshore Town Center anymore. I want Bayshore to thrive and survive, but I just, I'm getting bad vibes about th- this whole thing. And, and maybe this is just, hey, you got to tear it down to build it up again. You know, it's like the teams that, hey, you, you, you go in there and you lose and you lose and you lose. So you get the great draft picks. And then a couple of years from now, you're heading for the Super Bowl. Okay. Maybe, maybe that's the approach, but, 
I just hope Bayshore doesn't turn out to be the Cleveland Browns. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Speaking of building, it seems like every time I turn around that there's there's one of two things being constructed. It's either a bank or it's, it's a drugstore. Now, actually, my, my friend who, like I say, has forgotten more about retail than than most people will ever learn in their life. And he was telling me about how actually the drugstore craze, that's kind of bottoming out, too. Um, and, and that matter of fact that you have even a lot of the big drugstore, Walgreens and CVS, they're, they're looking to cut back. And it's kind of interesting because the the way pharmacies the, like the CVS and the Walgreens used to make a lot of money is what would happen is they would yet yes they would fill prescriptions and, and yes they they have like the doc in the box thing where you can go get the flu shot and all that but they'd make a bunch of their money by people who would come in they would buy sundries they'd buy soap they'd buy razor blades they'd buy shampoo they'd buy greeting cards all that that type of stuff where the profit margin was higher than on on the drugs for example well nowadays again this is the effect of amazon with more people shopping on the internet there's there's less money being made by people who go in to pick up their prescriptions and instead they buy the cosmetics or they buy all, all this other stuff. That's just, that's not anywhere as much of a profit center as it used to be. So a lot of these drug stores are, are, are cutting back. They're recognizing we don't need all this space because we're, we're actually not making the money we thought we were going to make on the razor blades and things like that. And what we can really get by with is a store that's a third of the size um, that, that really concentrates on the health stuff. So it, it is an interesting time, and a lot of it's driven, again, by the Internet. But th- these things that, like I say, you know, for, you drive around, and it still seems to me, unbelievably, that every time you look and there's new construction, it's, oh, they're, they're building a bank there. Well, how many different banks do you end up needing? And that's always one of the interesting questions. But it always used to be like the pharmacies. Although, like I say, people are telling me now they're, they're cutting back on the pharmacies, the traditional full-service drug store that also had all these other things not making money like they used to. All right, this is going to be one of the really interesting things moving forward this week, and I, I wonder how people in New Berlin are dealing with this. Matter of fact, I think there's probably members of the New Berlin School Board who are, like, pulling their hair out on this because the Super Bowl on Sunday, the big game, who are the teams that are playing? It's the San Francisco 49ers, and it is the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs, Native American um, imagery. Have you ever seen Kansas City? They do the tomahawk chop. They do that. They come. They when there is a when there is a touchdown and beforehand, they have a cheerleader or a rider who goes on and rides a white horse known as war paint. There are people who show up wearing headdresses. If you look at a lot of the imagery, it is everything. That I don't know, people in New Berlin, just absolutely, at least school board members in New Berlin, could not stand. And so right now, this is, it's, this, trust me, I'm trying to give you a head start on this because this is going to end up being a, a big story over the, over the course of the week because there's a lot of activists who are just outraged that the NFL's Kansas City Chiefs are playing in the Super Bowl and that you're going to have all these Chiefs fans who are going to show up at the Super Bowl and they're going to be having all this imagery on that people find to offensive, or at least that some people find to be offensive. 
Going to be interesting to see how that's covered. Going to be interesting to see how, I don't know, the fans that show up wearing their Chiefs paraphernalia are portrayed. And I guess I understand that, you know, the Cleveland Indians have gotten a lot of attention and the Washington Redskins have gotten a lot of attention and the Kansas City Chiefs have flown under the radar. That all ends this week. Wonder what they think in New Berlin about the Kansas City Chiefs. Back for more. I'm saying New Berlin. I'm talking about Menominee Falls. How can I? It's the Menominee Falls Indies. I apologize to New Berlin. Had New Berlin on the mind. All right, Menominee Falls. How could people in Menominee Falls, at least on the school board, feel about the Kansas City Chiefs? This is Jeff Wagner.